going to uh, finish chapter 3 of 1 Peter uh, today, and so we've got um, a lot to cover, but, but I'll talk fast, so don't worry, all right? Um, but the, so, someone at the 930 service, they had some groceries and some milk that they came in with. I think they came from Walmart, and they're asking me, how long is the sermon going to be? I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, I got some milk in this bag. Like, hey, man, you better put it in the refrigerator because I got a long one today. <laughs> And uh, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, but that really did happen, by the way. <laughs> but I'm kidding. It's not going to be a super long sermon. But I do want to dive into 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 8 is where we'll start. Uh, but before we do that, let's pray and just ask that uh, the Spirit of God would move in our hearts as the Word of God uh, is read and preached. God, we come before you today. Lord, we rejoice in these three young men, Lord, that are just publicly identifying that they're a follower of you. God, our hearts are, are stirred by this. And God, I pray that we'd never get just used to seeing this. And God, I pray that you would continue to work. God, we need your power. We need your spirit moving and working in our church. God, I pray now as your word goes forward, Lord, that your spirit would guide us, would speak to us. Lord, I pray that we would see that, Lord, this living word of God that you've given to us, Lord, is true and it's applicable for the day in which we live. And so, God, I pray that we'd apply these things, and I pray that your spirit would bring these things to life. God, I pray, Lord, that, uh, that my words would be forgotten, but yet, God, your words that are spoken through me today would have an impact, Lord, upon each and every one. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter says in verse number 8, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. He says, but on the contrary, contrawise, return blessing is what he's saying. Knowing that you're there unto called, that you should inherit a blessing. So here we find ourselves in the middle of chapter 3. Peter has addressed and really talked to these Christians. This is a group of churches in the Turkey region who, who are under persecution. I mean, the heat has been turned up. And he, in chapter 1, a beautiful chapter of saying, listen... You may not have a lot of certainty down here, but you can anchor your hope in Jesus Christ, the, the one who resurrected from the dead. And he says, you're born again under this living hope in Christ. So he anchors their hope in Christ. And now he's going on to encourage these Christians to live boldly and to live as Christians should live. He talks about live like you're born again. And then in chapter 2, he talks about how does that look like in, a, in your relationship with those in government and authority who you don't agree with and who are even persecuting you. And he talks about showing honor, submitting to those authorities. And, and a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how that there's a tension that we wrestle with there. And it's important that we let all of Scripture speak. There's a time as Christians to stand up and say, no, we are highest authority is Christ. That the, the Christian flag flies above every flag and we're going to obey Christ, even if it means we have to disobey human government. But there's also a time when there's not something that's, that's con clearly, blatantly contradicting scripture, where Peter says, listen, submit to those authorities that God's placed over you. Submit to them. God's the one that's placed them there. And so we wrestle with that tension. 
And then he talked about the employee and employer relationship. How that we can honor Christ by honoring the people, maybe in a position of authority at work. And then last week we talked about marriage and showing honor. That wives and husbands should show honor one to another. Well, now Peter's saying, look, finally, all of you, talking about the entire body of believers, he's saying, look... It's important that you be of one mind, that you be unified. And he's going to talk about having compassion, having love, having sympathy, not repaying evil for evil. And, and, and he's leading up to saying, listen, because when people see you doing right, even when you're repaid evil, and even when you suffer, what that's going to do is it's going to cause people to ask about the hope that you have within you. They're going to ask, and he says, at that point, be ready to give a reason. Be ready to give a defense for why you have that hope within you. And he closes out. He's going to talk about how that, look, if you suffer for Christ, if you suffer for righteousness, you're in good company. Because Christ, the only true righteous one, he suffered for our sins. So let's start in verse 8. Finally. Be all of one mind. So he's talking about this importance of unity within the body. That doesn't mean that we have to necessarily come to every single conclusion that the person next to you has. But you know what? It does mean that we should have a unified mind and that we should have a unified attitude as a body of Christ. And you know what's amazing to me is that in the church, and let's talk about our specific local church here at Crosspoint, is that when we get together, when we sit down and have a meal together, when we come and we gather on a Sunday together, when we come together, we find that even though that there's a lot of different backgrounds and maybe different upbringings and different interests and different hobbies, and maybe people that you would have absolutely no common interests in, but the fact that you are believers in Christ, you have this unity. You have this commonality with one another. And Peter's saying, look, be of one mind. Be of one mind. And again, like, yeah, we're going to come to different conclusions on, on different things. And even, even things that aren't clear in Scripture. Like we've talked many times about open-handed and close-handed issues. The close-handed issues are what we see clearly taught in Scripture. We can't compromise on those things. We can't budge on those things because if God has spoken with clarity on an issue, then it's not for us to try to change or debate or argue. No, God has spoken. But there's some things that just aren't as clear as others. And we should have a spirit of generosity, a spirit of charity, and a spirit of unity. Honestly, it's quite concerning to me when it's like someone who professes to be a Christian, but on, they're always on the opposite side of Scripture— like of every like argument and debate. It's like they always find themselves as like, you know, being, giving a defense for the, the conclusion that's not what we see in scripture. That's concerning because as Christians, we should be unified when it comes to God's word as our authority. So Peter's saying, look, I, you need to be like-minded. In other words, be unified one with another. And he says, Having compassion one of another. This is having a heart of being sympathetic towards one another. When someone's going through a difficult time, to feel what they're going through. To weep with people that are weeping. To mourn with those that are, that are mourning. And, and, and for many of us, we understand how important that that is. To have people who are just there. Just to have compassion. 
and who mourn with us, who weep with us, who are just there showing compassion. And many times it's not about the words that they say. I mean, quite frankly, you know, when we're going through adversity, many times people just say really dumb things, right? They're, they're, they mean well, though. But you know what we remember? It's just, man, they were there for me. They cared. They had compassion. And don't underestimate the importance of just being there for someone when they're hurting. Peter's saying, listen, I want you guys to be unified. I want you to live as Christians should live. I want you to have one mind, being unified in mind, having compassion, love as brethren. In other words, love people, love people like you should love them. And again, yes, this could be applied to really like a lot of different scenarios, but what Peter's talking about here specifically is within the body that we have this love one towards another. Love as brethren. Now, maybe you have a family where it's not very loving. Maybe your family or extended family, when you guys get together at like reunions or different things, it doesn't seem like, I mean, it seems like it's anything but loving. There's a lot of fighting and drama and issues. Well, keep in mind, we're talking about loving as brethren or loving as family should love, not always as we do love. But Peter's saying, look, your family, your brothers, your sisters in Christ. And this is, this was crucial in this day. When the church was under persecution, when the heat was turned up, Peter's saying, look, now's not the time to fight and devour one another. Now's the time to be unified. Now's the time to be sympathetic and to be compassionate one towards another. And may I say today in this culture, in 2022, in which we live, this is absolutely crucial for us as a church. That we have this unity, that we have true love, that we have true, meaningful relationships. And by the way, we could go off, go on this huge rabbit trail, and I won't because we got a lot to cover. We could talk about this, this myth that's out there of what true love really is. Because some people think love is that you're never going to say hard things to me, that you're basically going to coddle and affirm and approve everything I'm doing, even if it's sinful and even if it's destructive. And I would argue this, that that's not love. That's not love. But we should love one another and have true meaningful relationships with one another. That we actually know what each other's needs are. That we sit down together, we talk with one another, we meet needs, we pray for and with one another. We sit down and we have meals together. We are intentional about doing life together. And this is crucial in our day and in our culture. Or you and I will be eaten up because there is, we, are, we have been and are gonna continue to be bombarded. Now, it's not at the point where we're suffering physical persecution. It could be, but right now what we're, what we're suffering is ridicule. What you have is bullying. Not like physically showing up at your house and bullying you, but bullying people to compromise what they believe is true and what God's word says. And so the thing is, we need one another. We need to be unified. And the importance of sitting down and having meals with one another and spending time with one another, this is crucial, just like it was here with these churches in this, this region of Turkey who are, where the heat was turned up and they were being persecuted. The future today, it belongs to churches that are not going to compromise the truth of God's word, that are going to evangelize, that are going to be rich in theology and doctrine, and that also are going to have true, meaningful 
relationships with one another. And here's the thing. What I'm seeing is people are starving for this fellowship. People are absolutely starving for true, meaningful relationships within the church. And we as a church, we need to keep this up and we need to even do a better job of it. And I don't say that as a rebuke because I think we're doing a good job, but we have to see the importance of this. That doesn't mean that we live in a bubble. In fact, we have to spend time with the unbelieving world. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. So we can't just live isolated and live in this bubble. I think we should have meaningful relationships with people who don't yet know the Lord. To be that light, to be that salt to them. But may we understand that we need to have meaningful relationships with one another within the body. We have to be intentional about that. Because people are starving for that true fellowship. That true love. And Peter's saying, listen, love one another like brothers. He's saying, be pitiful or have, have, have a tender heart towards one another. Have a tender heart towards one another. You know what? It's really easy to have, to have a heart that's callous. And here's why. Because we've been hurt and we've been burned by people. And so what happens when we are burned and we're hurt and maybe time and time again, then our heart becomes callous. Now, here's what's important. We do need to have thick skin, but we need a tender heart. Because sometimes people, they, they're just, they're offended like so easily. And we need to have thick skin, right? Be hard to, to, to offend. Don't take offense to every possible thing that could be an offense. But in doing so, Maintain a tender heart towards people. We're talking about having compassion. And, and honestly, like, I, I get it. That, that it's easy to have a heart that's callous when we've been hurt, when we've been burned. I talk to a lot of people that have had really negative experiences within churches and even with other believers. And so what happens is it's easy to have a heart that just becomes callous to where we're not, where we're just, we're going to shut people out. We're not going to become vulnerable because here's the thing, when we're loving and we're showing compassion and when we have fellowship, when we have meaningful relationships with people, there is that possibility that we can be hurt by people. But what my argument is this, that I think as believers, it's well worth the risk, so to speak. We have to have those meaningful relationships. And it is quite possible that we can be hurt. And I'm not making light of that hurt. Because for many, that's what turns them away from Christianity. Or that's what causes them to become disillusioned. Peter's saying don't become disillusioned with when things aren't going how you think they should go. In fact, we're going to look at He's going to conclude the chapter saying, Hey, Christ is at the right hand of God and rules and reigns and is in control of all these things. But it's easy sometimes to have a heart that becomes callous. Peter's saying, look, as believers, this, this Christian character within you, like this is important. These are important things, especially in your context. And especially in our context. Be pitiful. Have sympathy. Be courteous. This just means a, a humble attitude of preferring others. I mean, just think, okay? Think about your conflicts that you had this last week at work. Think about the conflicts you had this last week with family. Think about the conflicts you had this last week, maybe with, with, with neighbors. Do you think that some of those conflicts could have been avoided altogether if one or both parties would just have an attitude of humility and courteous, courteousness? Is that a word? Yeah, courteousness. Being courteous. 
You know what I mean. Could, could, could those have been avoided if we would just have that attitude? And I would propose this, that yes. Now, that doesn't mean that you allow people to, to abuse you or walk over you. It doesn't mean that you allow... I'm going to fix this again because otherwise I am going to trip on it. It doesn't mean that you allow um, or enable people to harm you. But yet, again, we're talking about there's a certain context here. Peter's talking about within relationships, within the body. Look, there is going to be times when, you know, maybe somebody's going to say something that could be offensive. And what if we just responded in a humble, courteous way? What if we, in verse 9, we didn't return evil for evil? Or railing for railing. Railing just means insulting words. But that's just, you know, our natural human tendency. Someone insults us, we're going to insult them back, and it just escalates. Peter's saying, look, don't live like that. You're believers, you're a follower of Christ, you're family. You're family, don't return evil for evil. He says, but, but contrawise, or on the contrary, return blessing for cursing. That sounds familiar, right? Like what Jesus said. Bless the people that persecute you. Pray for the people that despitefully use you and the people that are speaking evil against you. Now this, especially in this culture, and it is true in our culture as well today, but especially in this culture, this would have been just unheard of. This would have been a sign of that is for the weak to let people walk over you. You let people walk over you because you're powerless to do anything back. And Peter's saying, look, when it comes to relationships within the body of Christ, don't return evil for evil. Don't bless the people that, that persecute you. And he says, look, knowing that you're there unto called. You know, that's, that's kind of humorous to me. He's like, hey, maybe God's just calling, calling you to live that way for a season of time. God's allowing it. And again, that's not talking about in the judicial world where people commit crime and we should, oh, well, the judge should, you know, just forgive them. Well, that's not the context, right? We're, we're talking about here just that, that relationships with one another, conflict and relationships within the body. And he's saying that you'll inherit a blessing. Hey, if you do this, if you don't return evil for evil, if you don't retaliate back in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a combative way, like you're going to inherit a blessing. And it may or may not be here in this life. We may or may not see those results that we want to see in this life. But Peter's saying, look, this is how as believers we should live. And again, keep in mind, make no mistake. Peter's saying, though he's talking about specifically relationships within the body of Christ, he's saying the unbelieving world's watching this. The unbelieving, your testimony's important to live like this. He says, for he that will love life and see good days... Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his, and his lips that they speak no guile. That word guile just means deceit or speaking lies. He's saying if you want to love life, if you want to see good days, he's like don't speak evil, don't, don't lie, don't be, uh, don't be dishonest. He says eschew or avoid evil, avoid evil and do good. Seek peace, ensue it or pursue peace. So Peter's saying, look, if you want to, live a good life for the most part and see good days follow these things now peter's actually quoting from psalm 32 and when we get into like psalms and specifically like proverbs what we see is there's a lot of just generally true principles they're generally true and they eventually will always be true 
But what we're going to find is Peter saying, hey, if you live, you know, just follow peace. And if you're doing good and staying away from evil, for the most part, you're going to see good days and, and you're going to have God's blessing. But he's saying there might be a time and a season you're going to do good and you're actually going to get evil in return. And he's like, and it's okay, you can actually rejoice if you're suffering for righteousness sake. But he's saying, follow peace. Now, ensue peace or follow after peace. Some people, they do the opposite of that. Like they follow after drama. And that's why they're always in conflict. Peter's saying, don't pursue that, pursue peace. He's saying, follow after that. Follow after peace, avoid or eschew evil. Many times, you know, people get into the most trouble because they're in the wrong place. They're in places they shouldn't be. They're not avoiding evil. They're kind of running towards the evil. They're running towards things that they shouldn't even be involved in. And then they wonder why there's, there's this drama. So you've probably heard the statistic or the quote, maybe in sometimes like in the business world or even like within churches that, that 10% of the people do 90% of the work. Have you, heard, have you heard statistics like that? Definitely not true here at Crosspoint, thank God, right? But a lot more than 10% of people are involved. But, you know, when I hear that, I think about though, I think honestly that like 90% of the drama in society is caused by 10% of the people. The people that are not pursuing peace, they're pursuing conflict. There's always, again, we're talking about in relationships here, right? There's a time as Christians where we're going to be in conflict because we're going to stand on the truth of the word of God. But there's also times where there's just in relationships that, man, we don't need to fight and we don't need to have that, but we're not pursuing peace. Peter's saying, generally speaking, look, if you want to love life, you want to see good days, then don't speak evil. Don't lie. Avoid evil. Do good. Seek peace. Pursue after that. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will, far, will harm you if you are followers, if you be followers of that which is good? So he's like, look, if you live and follow peace and, and, and you, you're following Christ, you're doing good and not evil. He's like, who's going to harm you? Like, you're probably... You know, you're probably going to be left alone, but, but he says, but there's going to be a time when maybe you actually are going to be repaid evil for that. And he says, but you can rejoice in that time. He says, but, and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. He says, don't be afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. He's like, if you're doing right and you're persecuted, and you suffer for doing right, you can actually be happy. You can actually be happy. He says, and you don't have to be afraid of their terror. You don't have to be afraid of what physical harm they might do. Now, that's easy for us to sit in a nice, safe building and, and to read this and say, yeah, that's right. But look for Peter. This wasn't theoretical. Peter actually suffered greatly for Christ. In fact, and, and if you've been here very long at Crosspoint, you know I've referred to this, especially around Easter, we'll talk about this a lot, that Peter, there is amazing evidence. There's, there's early evidence and multiple sources of evidence that Peter died a martyr's death. 
Now, some of the apostles, you know, we claim, oh, they all died a martyr's death, and, you know, we know they all suffered, but there's some of them, you know, it's later evidence that says that, and maybe, right? But, but Peter, very few would question whether Peter died a martyr's death. So what Peter is writing is not theoretical. Peter actually faced great suffering and persecution for righteousness sake, for Christ's sake. In fact, he ended up dying a martyr's death. And Peter says, look, happy are you if you suffer for righteousness sake. And now he says this, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So Peter's saying this, make sure in your heart and mind. You understand who your authority is, that Christ is Lord. And you set him apart as Lord in your heart and life. And because of that, you don't need to be fearful. You don't need to be afraid what people will do to you. Because Christ is Lord. Christ is in control. And he says, when you set him apart, when you sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, he says, what's going to happen is this. People are going to approach you and ask you, what's the reason of the hope that you have within you? Because they're going to see, here it is, how we respond when the heat is turned up. They're going to see how do we act. Not when everything's going well, but when life is unraveling. Are they going to see that Christ is Lord in your life? Is that going to be evident in how you treat the people around you? Is that going to be evident that you're a follower of Christ? And he says, if Christ is your Lord, you've set him apart as Lord. You know he is the one that's in charge. He is the authority in your life. What's going to happen is this. He says, people are going to ask you, what's the hope? What's the reason of this hope that you have? And he says, at that point, be ready with with an answer or with a defense for that hope that you have in you. Now, look, as believers, we should be bold about proclaiming the gospel we see that like that we should take the gospel and preach the gospel and give the gospel to those around us but here what peter's talking about is there's going to be people that actually approach you and ask you hey well what's the reason that you have this hope again in the context of difficult times in the context of suffering And maybe God is going to call us to minister in difficult days. I believe we are in difficult days. And I believe that it's going to be more difficult. And the thing is, we don't have to be afraid. Like some people, they paint this like doomsday picture. And they're terrifying their kids. They're terrifying people that are young because they paint this bleak picture that they're going to die a martyr's death. And hey, you know, maybe... Peter's saying, but when you set Christ apart as Lord in your heart, and if you suffer for righteousness, you don't need to be afraid of their terror. Hey, you can actually be happy. You can rejoice because he says it's much better to suffer for righteousness than to suffer for evil doing. He says that that we would have an answer or a defense, a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, this is important. And some people think this is a contradiction. That we can be bold, but that we can also be meek and humble. And I don't think it is. In fact, I see this a lot. 
I see it modeled really well. That Christians can be, be bold. Like we're not going to cave in to the culture. We're not going to cave in to people that, 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 are, that are forcing, that are trying to force Christians to affirm and bow the knee to things that God's word says is wrong and sinful. But yet Christians are doing it, I think for the most part, in a very humble and loving way. Now, not all. Not all, but I think for the most part, I'm encouraged when I see how Christians are saying, you know, actually, no, if God has spoken with clarity on an issue, it's not up for us to decide, right? Christ is our authority, but we love you and we're going to be humble about it. We're going to refute your arguments, your arguments of the unbelieving world. You are without a defense. You have no argument against the God of, of the scripture, but we're going to do it in a loving way, in a humble way. And I think that we can do that. And I think we must do that. We must do that. And again, you can be loving. You can do it humbly. And that still doesn't mean. It still doesn't mean that people are going to be okay with that. We might suffer. We might suffer physically. We definitely will suffer ridicule and mocking and persecution in so, to some degree. But Peter says that, that that's all right. That's all right. It's actually much better if you suffer for doing right than for doing wrong. He says, look, you can have a good conscience. That whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, he says that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. He's like, they're, they're actually going to be ashamed because they're falsely accusing you. He says, it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evildoing. In other words, he's saying, look, there's no glory. There, there's nothing to be proud about if you're suffering because of your own sin or your own foolishness. And sometimes that happens with us, right? We act like we're a martyr when really we've just like, we made really dumb decisions or maybe we've sinned. And maybe even like when people commit a crime, it's not like, oh, we feel so sorry that they're punished. Well, I mean, they did a crime and so they're doing time. They're not a martyr. But Peter's saying, look, but if you suffer, for righteousness, you can actually rejoice in that because you've set apart Christ. He is Lord in your heart. And because of that, you're going to be ready to give a defense when people ask of you a reason for the hope that is in you. And we need to do it with meekness. We need to do it with humility. We need to be gracious, but also we need to understand that when our, as our culture is ever, ever increasingly becoming further, moving further and further away from Christ, People that actually believe something, people that actually are Christians and they believe the word of God is true. Like we're going to be looked at in ridicule. Like, oh man, you guys are really strange. Like, why is that strange? I mean, a Christian that actually believes the word of God, that actually believes the Bible. But you know what? Maybe we will be called the minister in, difficult, in a difficult context where not everyone's going to pat us on the back. Where people will, will, will try to guilt and shame and bully you. And then eventually it might even go further than that. I don't hope that. I don't wish that. But Peter says, look, if that does happen, you can actually be happy. Because it's better that you suffer for righteousness than for evil. And he says, by the way, you're in good company if you suffer for righteousness. Look at our example. Christ, our Savior. The one we're following, he says, Christ also has suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive by the spirit. He's saying Christ suffered 
even though he was righteous, he was just, but he suffered for the unjust. You know who the unjust is? You, me. He suffered for us. He suffered for our sins. He stood in our place on the cross so that we can have forgiveness through him. He suffered in our place. And Peter's saying, look at the glory. Look at the good that came out of this suffering. Is the salvation for all that will believe. Saying you're in good company if you're suffering for Christ. It says that he suffered, that he might bring us to God. And then he was put to death, but he was quickened. He was made alive by the Spirit. He says, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Which were, which sometime were disobedient. When once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing within few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. So it seems like, man, what in the world is Peter talking about here? Talking about Christ's suffering, and then he went and he preached to the spirits in prison, and it's like, whoa, where, where are you going with this, Peter? Now, some of you may have heard, like, there's like this, like these crazy theories. I don't say crazy. I mean, you know, I'm open to be persuaded by some of these, but it's just like they think like this is referring to, you know, they'll go to Genesis 6. Have you guys heard some of these theories like the Nephilim, like that in Genesis 6, that like the fallen angels bred with humans, and then you have the giants, and then in Jude when Jude's talking about the, the spirits that were disobedient, it's like, wow, that's, a, that's an amazing conclusion. Like, I don't know how you can necessarily come to that confidently because we have just not a whole lot of information. Again, I'm open to be persuaded. I'm not saying it's for sure wrong, but I think the point Peter's making here is this. Hey, Christ suffered. And he preached his victorious message that he was victorious over death. Because at the end, he's going to say that all authorities, including the angelic world, are in subjection and submission to Christ. Because yes, he suffered. Yes, he humbled himself. But he rose from the dead and now he rules and reigns. And all people and all angelic beings are all in subjection to him. So he says, now, we're not done. Look at verse 21. If you thought, man, 20 was a little bit, a little bit confusing. He says, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Like, oh, baptism saves us, right? In case you're confused, he says, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but as an answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's saying like the eight souls were saved by, by water. It's not saying that like those waters of the flood saved them. No, like you could, now you can definitely see the possibility of like the ark where Noah and his family went in, how that, that could be a picture of salvation. I have no problem with that. I think you could definitely make that conclusion that the ark pictured salvation. What he's saying is, look, they preached a message and they were mocked. They were ridiculed. But they were vindicated when that flood actually came. It, it, Peter's saying, look, the baptism is not going to wash away the filth of the flesh, but here's what it is. It's an answer of a good conscience towards God. It's like you're publicly saying and identifying, I'm a follower of Christ. And here's the thing we need to understand. What is baptism picture? What baptism pictures and represents is what saves us, not these physical waters. They can't give us a clean heart before God. It's symbolic. It's a picture. 
It's a picture of what Christ has done for us. His death, his burial, his resurrection. And we are identifying with that message. And by the way, this is important. Like we come to verses like this that we let scripture speak and we let all of scripture speak. Because look, there's some verses where if you just, you know, take that one verse here and there, like, yeah, you might be able to come up with some different conclusions. But when we let all of scripture speak, then we see there's a harmony and unity that doesn't contradict. It's unified. It's harmonious in scripture. And Peter's saying what baptism is, it's, it's a picture. And it, it's an answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I love verse 22. Who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Angels, authorities, and powers being made subject unto him. So look, Peter's saying, look, you might do right. You might follow the Lord and you might suffer for righteousness. But he's saying, and be ready. Be ready because when people see that, that your life is not going well from the outside, they're going to ask, why do you have this hope? what's the reason for this hope that you have? And Peter's saying, look, be ready to give that defense and that answer for why you have this hope that's in you. And then he says, don't be fearful. Don't be afraid. Make sure you're setting Christ apart as Lord and understanding and recognizing that Jesus Christ is Lord. He suffered the just for the unjust. He was nailed to a cross but he rose again. He preached this message of he preached this message of victory. And he says now that all authorities and powers and angels are subject to him because Jesus is at the right hand of God. He rules. He reigns. That he is in control of all. And he was in control. In Peter's day, in the difficult context in which they lived, and Jesus Christ is on the throne ruling and reigning today. And it might be that it's going to be a context and a, a ministry where that we, you and I live and we might face some suffering. We might face adversity. We might do right and get evil in return. We might do right and suffer for it. But Jesus Christ is still on the throne and rules and reigns over all. And we can rest in that. We can have hope in troubled times because our faith is anchored in Jesus Christ. As Peter said in chapter one, the one who rose from the dead, anchor your hope in that. And today, maybe you are, maybe you honestly are, are facing persecution and adversity for your faith. Maybe you will. Maybe you just find yourself, it's not necessarily persecution, but you find yourself timid. You find yourself timid. You find yourself in like the circles that you're in and the people that you're with and in what you see on social media. Like, man, like, wow, it just seems like people are becoming more and more hostile towards Christians that actually believe the Bible. Don't be discouraged by that. Don't be fearful by that. Now, it's important you have a good community of believers. You need that encouragement. You need that love one for another, that compassion one for another. You need, you need that with one another. We need that fellowship. Peter's saying, look, you might suffer for righteousness, but it's okay. 
God's actually going to provide an opportunity for you to give a reason for why you have that hope. And not only that, look, you're in good company. Christ suffered for us, the just for the unjust. And he is now seated at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ came. He came humbly. He lived a righteous life that we could never live. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. And then he rose from the dead triumphantly. And then he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God. And he rules and reigns over all. He rules and reigns in this time of Peter's writing. And Jesus Christ is Lord of all now and rules and reigns. And we can have a boldness. May we do it with humility and meekness. But we can have a boldness that our king rules and our king reigns. Let's pray. God.